Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. Here's a little literary joke. Charles Dickens walks into a bar, orders a martini. Bartender asks, Oliver Twist. I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And from American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that equips you to win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from author and roller derby queen Alex Cohen. And coming up, author and chef Gabrielle Hamilton, the peacemaker, a drink fit for vampires, and morning. Good morning. First, time for small talk. All week long, you've been reading the big headlines. Now it's time for a smaller one you might have missed. We're speaking with Jessica Cohen, writer for women's culture website Jezebel. Jessica, what story are you going to be talking about at your dinner parties this weekend? I'm going to be talking about the latest trend of hipsters growing their own tobacco. Oh, no. Weird, but not illegal. (laughs) I think that's kind of interesting. It's interesting. They're growing their own tobacco because taxes on cigarettes are so high. And, you know, it's, of course, everything hip originates in Brooklyn, so that's where (laughs) This is going on right now. And the taxes are so high. This is a way around it. That'll that'll show them. I'm just going to buy seeds, buy containers, plant it, (laughs) tend to it, grow it. Dry it. It's a little complicated. It. <laughs> it takes forever. I thought cigarettes were supposed to be relaxing. <laughs> Speaking of high, though, as, as a Californian, it is refreshing to hear about a different kind of homegrown for once. <laughs> I can imagine. I, You know, we're a little disappointed that it's just tobacco. <laughs> well, it's interesting. They were originally going to protest the taxes by marching, but they all have asthma and wheeze too much. So they decided... <laughs> well, and they can't march because you can't really smoke outside anywhere here anymore. <laughs> That's right. So... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The they, irony. They have to get 20 feet from City Hall <laughs> in a little sad smoking area. (laughs) (laughs) Jessica Cohen, thanks for the small talk. Thanks for having me. And now, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened this week in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like history is a stick of butter, but when it melts, it turns out to be booze. (laughs) That is magical. Great for pancakes. Uh, First, the history. This week, back in 1844, the USS Princeton set sail on a pleasure cruise from Alexandria, Virginia. Now, most folks at your dinner party will think that sounds just lovely. Mm -hmm. Our friend Michelle Phillippe is here to tell you why they're wrong. Navy Captain Robert Stockton fought wars around the world, but the most famous shot he fired was at home during peacetime. That day, Stockton was showing off his dream boat, the Princeton. He'd helped design it, right down to its two guns, named the Oregon and the Peacemaker. They both weighed thousands of pounds, but there was one difference. The Oregon was well-tested to make sure it wouldn't blow apart when fired. The Peacemaker had only been test-fired five times. Stockton had it stuck on the Princeton anyway, eager to impress everyone with his fancy gun. And by everyone, I mean everyone. Among the folks to board the Princeton in Alexandria, President John Tyler and his cabinet. You can see this coming, right? The third time the Peacemaker was fired that day, it exploded. Eight people died, including the president's secretary of state, his secretary of the Navy, and his fiancé's dad. Stockton lost most of his hair in the accident, but not much else. A Navy court cleared him of guilt, but the explosion went down as one of the worst peacetime disasters in Navy history, and maybe the first for which no one was held responsible. 
So that was the history. Now for the booze to serve along with it. On the line is Todd Thrasher, award-winning mixologist at Restaurant Eve in Alexandria, Virginia. And Todd, you've heard the history of the Princeton. What cocktail does it inspire you to make? Well, it, it was obviously some bloodshed on the ship that day. So oh, a little bit. A little bit. So I have a, a cocktail, the Bloody Berry Fizz. The Bloody Berry Fizz. Bloody Berry Fizz. Delightful in a slightly macabre way. How, do, how, how is this thing made? So it's um, pomegranate juice, blood orange juice. Lots of red. Lots of red. So the color is definitely a, a muted, rusty red, you know, like real blood. <laughs> Nothing more appetizing before a meal. Exactly. Uh, a little bit of lime juice, the white of one egg. And then there's a vodka on the market called Surreal Vodka, the red berry cream flavor. You put everything together, you shake it, the egg will create a little meringue on top. And then kind of the piece de stones on it, I make um, homemade pomegranate molasses. I keep that in a little eyedropper. Take your eyedropper and little drops of blood on top of the cocktail, so it looks like a little uh, mishap on top of the cocktail. <laughs> oh, man. You can serve that uh, in February or for Halloween. Exactly. So, Rico, you suggested having that drink on Halloween, and I can see where you got that. Right. But when I hear raw egg, I think about the night before Halloween. <laughs> kind of a mischief night cocktail. Devil's night. Maybe a little toilet paper garnish. <laughs> see, when I hear a raw egg, I think, mmm, I'm ordering another drink with a raw egg in it. Like Rocky. Sort of. Ladies and gentlemen, you can egg our website with love letters at dinnerpartydownload.org. Our guest of honor this week is Gabrielle Hamilton. She is the owner of and chef at Prune Restaurant in Manhattan, and she's written a memoir called Blood, Bones, and Butter. Gabrielle, you begin your book by describing your childhood, and it sounds almost idyllic. You grew up in this old silk factory. You had many siblings. It was in this rural area right outside New York. Uh, you had a bohemian father. It was, it was incredible. Then out of nowhere, your parents split up, and you're pretty much abandoned. I wonder if you could talk about how that experience influenced your relationship to food. Well, I think uh, you got it. That's, that's what happened. I was growing up one way, and then someone scratched the you know needle right off the record, and then I started living another way. And that's how a whole life can happen. I had to have a job right away. I had to have money. I stumbled into town naively. I went to the very first restaurant I found because I knew how to wash dishes at home. And there I am, 30 years later, <laughs> still washing dishes. <laughs> Oops. Well, at least you're washing dishes in your own restaurant, um, a really well-regarded restaurant. And now you have this book out, which kind of has a buzz about it. You know, it's interesting, in your book, you seem to frown upon chef celebrity culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, yourself, have made appearances on TV. Now you have this buzzy book coming out. Is that hard for you? It is not difficult at all. I am not a celebrity. No one stops me on the subway. I'm not on television, so it's not hard at all. And I have never and will never forget that I'm the help. You know what I mean? It's not, um, I'm not caught up in this. This is a very beautiful moment. It's um, sort of sweet, cool water in my hands, and it's going right through my fingertips. (laughs) I get it. I cook. It's manual labor. But that's not, you know, that's disingenuous in a way, because of course, when I was 35 or something, I thought, well, I'm going to pull the record needle off too and stop all this cooking and see if I have anything else to offer. And I went away to graduate school. I just ditched it and said, this is it. It's now or never. Answer the question. Do you have anything else to offer besides microgreens with balsamic vinegar? (laughs) And I went to grad school and I came back and I opened a rest. 
sister. <laughs> but then you wrote a book about you wrote about balsamic <laughs> vinaigrette on microgreens. So and actually, you got everything. Well, there. right. That is one of the most unexpected pleasures. I always thought that you come to the fork in the road, and you must go left or right, and you will never see right again. And I did it. I I consciously and out loud said when I opened the gate of the restaurant, okay, I am not a writer. It's over. Mm. And clonk on my head six yeah. weeks later, <laughs> I'm getting my first paid writing gig. And uh, <laughs> so it's very nice that the forks came around um, up ahead and I got to do both. Well, all right. We have two standard questions on our show. And the first question is, what question are you tired of being asked? Oh, if I'm going to write another book. I, I mean, because I haven't even gotten to have fun with this one yet. That's right. So I just want five minutes to enjoy this one. <laughs> All right. Well, I would like to enjoy that moment, but I need to go to our second question, which is tell us something we don't know, something um, you haven't shared with anyone, or just something in the world at large that people don't know. Since I've told you everything about myself <laughs> in my book, there's nothing left to know. Um, I was wondering if you knew that sweetbreads um, are the thymus glands of a calf and that's a gland that disappears in a mature animal. So there's no such thing as beef sweetbreads, only veal. So I've been lamb. misled all these years when I when I've gotten <laughs> I know. It's really kept you up at night wondering about the thymus gland. <laughs> I've never understood why they're even called sweetbreads. I was confused for years when people told me they had sweetbreads for lunch. Right. I you thought they was... meant date nut loaf or something. Exactly. Do you know <laughs> Walnut <the> or... <laughs> banana bread. <laughs> So Rico actually looked up the origin of sweetbreads. Nice. And it turns out the sweet part comes from the Old English word sweet, which means sweet. Unexpected. And, and they think that bread comes from the Old English word broad, meaning flesh. So it's sweet flesh. Which, which would make sense for, for sweetbreads. But what was strange is the word gland in Old English is donuts. Which, uh, <laughs> all right, I'm just kidding. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the Dinner Party download for this week. Thanks to Jackson Musker, Charlton Thorpe, and Fletcher Kohlhausen. Thank God you were joking. <laughs> and we leave, I think Kohlhausen means sweetbreads, actually. <laughs> and we leave you, as always, with One for the Road, a song to listen to on your way to or departing from this weekend's dinner party. This is from Star Slinger, which is actually one guy working out of Manchester, UK. The song is called Morning. Good morning. Bon appetit.
I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. Thanks for listening. All right, nice show. Yeah, totally, man. Your new mic sounds great. Thanks, man. It's amazing. I, I actually designed it myself. Yeah? Yeah, this is like, I've only tested it like five times. And really? Yeah, this is the maiden hey, voyage. Let me see. Yeah, check it out. Hello? Hello? Check, check, one, two, check, one, two. Is this thing on? What? I probably wouldn't touch it. Yeah.